Well, good evening, good evening. Well, thank you to those of you that were here last Wednesday night and then got the heads up that I was going to be back. Thank you for uh, coming back and uh, being willing to sit through another 45 minutes or so of, uh, of my speaking. I would have been very, very, very saddened if everybody had decided to stay home. So thank you. Thank you for coming back. Um, Last week, we touched on several pieces of evidence regarding evolution, creation, and we're going to get back to that a little later on. We're going to talk a little bit more about why it's important, why it's an important issue, but I'm going to go a little off script to start. Um, I'm really comfortable with teaching. I'm not really that comfortable with preaching, but Monday night prayer, the Lord put something on my heart that I just feel I've got to share it with, with the church. So this is way outside my comfort zone. I'm not used to doing this, but for whatever reason, the Lord put it on my heart Monday, and here I am two days later up in front of men and women of God. So uh, I think I've got to share it. We have an amazing church. This church is awesome. We are spreading the gospel locally Nationally, internationally, we are baptizing people in Jesus' name. We are bringing people closer to Christ every day. Everything is moving along amazingly. This is what a church should look like. The leaders of this church got it right, led us right, and the men and women of the body of Christ have grabbed a hold of that, and we have, we've moved forward with the leadership of this church. And it's awesome. The Lord has taken notice. Unfortunately, Satan has taken notice also. The leadership of this church, and this is what was really impressed on me Monday night, the leadership of this church is under attack. Anyone that's been around this church for more than a couple of weeks knows what these great families of God, it's not just the men, it's the families of God that lead this church and the things that they've had to deal with, the things they've had to endure, the attacks that have been coming at them are unbelievable because Satan wants to shut us down. Satan thinks if he can take out the leadership, the rest of us are just going to go run and hide, but that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen at all. And in a little bit, we're going to pray in Jesus' name for their protection and thanks for them. But then I started thinking, you know what? It's not just the leaders of the church. There are people in this congregation that every day are deciding to move one step closer to their relationship with the Lord. Maybe they're going to be joining a life group for the first time. Maybe they're going to be leading a life group for the first time. Maybe they're going to decide, you know what? I'm finally going to talk to that neighbor that I've been wanting to talk to and lead to Christ or a coworker. But then a stumbling block gets in the way. Something happens to hold them back. Something happens to distract them. That is Satan at work trying to shut us down. You may look at it and you may say, well, my neighbor, they never seem to have any problems and they don't go to church and everything's good. Well, you know what? You know why they're not bothering your neighbor? Because Satan's not afraid of your neighbor that's not in church. He's afraid of you. He's afraid of this church. He's afraid of members of this church. And we need to bind together in prayer for the leaders of this church, 
up here on the stage and behind the scenes and in the families, everyone in this church building, this body of Christ, the ones online, every one of them that are trying to move closer in their relationship to the Lord, they're under assault right now. And I want to pray for protection for our leaders and everyone in this body of Christ. Dear Lord, we thank you for this amazing church that you have uh, made me a part of and made everyone in this room a part of and people that could not be here tonight. We just thank you for this amazing church. We thank you for the leadership of this church. We thank you for the families that have dedicated their time and efforts to this church and to serving and leading and directing. And We just know that you can protect us. You will protect us. You will get us through anything and everything that comes our way. The fiery darts of Satan will not overcome us. And we just know that you have amazing things for this church coming out on the other side. We just ask this hedge of protection in Jesus' name. Amen. And I got way ahead of myself on that because I wanted to talk a little more about that and I just felt like I had to pray, so I did. But I'm going to back up a little bit one more time before getting into uh, creation evolution. Uh, The Lord told us this was going to happen. The Lord told us that we would be under assault. In John 16.33, In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. It's okay. If you're under attack, that means you're doing it right. That means you're doing what the Lord wanted you to do, and you're going through the tribulation. Ephesians 6, 10 through 16 speaks about the, uh, the armor of God. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. He's not saying be strong in yourself. He's got this. There's an old saying out there that people will quite often use that says, you know what, God will never give you anything that you can't handle. I got to disagree with that. The Lord has put a lot of things in my life that I can't handle, but he's never put anything in my life that he can't handle. We are strong in his power, not our own power. So put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You need the armor of God because Scripture says, devil's coming at you. You need the armor of God. Why would you need armor if you're not going to battle? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. There are going to be darts, people. There are going to be darts coming at you if you're doing it right. But wear the armor of God. Put on the armor of God. Not going to touch you. You'll be good. So, that's what the Lord put on my heart Monday night. For whatever reason, uh, during prayer Monday night, that was there. And I hope... I expressed it the way I felt it. But like I said, I'm not a preacher. I'm a teacher. So now we're going to get into the teaching part. Last week, we talked about creation and evolution. And just a brief refresher. 
Um, evolution, that is the theory, and yes, let me say that again, the theory, unproven theory, that everything in the universe began with a Big Bang about 13.7 billion, billion with a B, years ago. The Earth came along about 4.5 billion years ago. Life came about about 4.3 billion years ago. And then humans eventually showed up on Earth about 300,000 years ago. And it all happened on accident. No design, no reason, no purpose. You're all just happy accidents. That, wow, that's no way to go through life. Creation, however, the creation model, as given to us in Scripture, says God created the world, the universe, everything around us in six literal days and created everything for a purpose, for a reason. That's a much better way to live. Can I prove creation? No, probably not. But could you prove to me George Washington was the president of the United States? I wasn't there. I didn't see it. I never touched him. I never felt him. I've never met the guy. But what we can do is we can look at the evidence. Look at the evidence to determine what is the most probable, reasonable, logical thing to believe. We look at the evidence out there. Sure, George Washington was the first president of the United States after the Constitution was uh, ratified. Absolutely. If we look at the evidence for creation over evolution, it's clear. The evidence is clear. Is it proof? No, there's always going to be a debate. But the evidence is clear. And it's important because... uh, We talked about Satan a little bit earlier. Satan wants to find any crack he can to crack your armor. And what a better place to do it than the very first book, the very first chapter of the very first book of your holy book. If he can get you to doubt that, oh, maybe the Lord didn't create everything in six literal days, then maybe there's not just one way to the Lord. Maybe you don't have to be baptized in Jesus' name. Maybe you don't really have to repent. So it's important. The whole thing is important. That's why Pastor decided, you know what, we're going to go ahead and we're going to have a series on the creation evolution issue. Some people call it a debate. I don't call it much of a debate. It's very much one-sided, and we win. So adding on to everything that we had learned last week, we're going to talk about some other dry issues Well, some of them are sort of wet because they're dealing with water, but um, we're going to deal with some relatively dry subjects. The first one is there's very little sediment on the seafloor. Science and scientists are able to measure the amount of stuff that washes out into the ocean from the rivers and streams and lakes every year. And it amounts to about 20 billion tons of stuff, sediment, pieces of rock, um, and different debris that float out and then end up at the sea floor. Some of that goes away at the mid-ocean tectonic plates where they come together. About, oh, one billion tons end up lost. Well, that's 19 billion tons of stuff going into the ocean. 
Just imagine that happening for, say, 13 billion years. There should be miles and miles and miles thick of ocean sediment. But there's not. The average around the world is 1,300 feet of sediment around the, around the world. So the earth cannot be billions of years old. There's not enough stuff on the ocean floor. Right now, it would only take, at the current rate, if we started out with zero sediment on the ocean floor, at a current rate, it would take 12 million years to deposit the current layer we have on the ocean floor. Well, someone might say, well, 12 million years. Well, you're saying the earth is only 6,000 years old. That's correct. Why do we have so much stuff on the ocean floor? Once again, I go back to uh, one of the, or the most cataclysmic thing that's ever happened on this earth, the flood. The, the fountains of the deep were, were ripped open. Rain was pouring down. Water was coming up. Volcanoes were exploding. There were just rivers of mud going into the oceans. Easy to account for 1,300 feet of sediment on the seafloor if you count a worldwide cataclysmic flood. Either way, even if you don't buy that, 12 million years is all it would take to get the amount of stuff we have right now on the ocean floor. Evolutionists say the Earth's been around for 13 billion years. I mean, sorry, 4.5 billion years. Just doesn't work. The math doesn't work. Does anyone know when... The dinosaurs supposedly died out. I think we touched on this last week. 65 million years ago, the dinosaurs supposedly died out. And humans were only around for the last 300,000 years. So I have a question for some of these evolutionists. Why in the world is there soft tissue and DNA in some of the bones we're finding from these 6 million year old dinosaurs. DNA doesn't last that long, folks. There's no way dinosaurs died out 65 million years ago. Absolutely impossible. As a matter of fact, there's strong evidence to indicate dinosaurs lived with human beings. You know, I wasn't going to go to the uh, Paluxy River, but I think we've got an image of it. Yes, there it is. It's hard to tell from there, but uh, those are tracks Oh, there! I like that image. Dinosaur track and a human footprint in the same piece of rock. You can't tell me that dinosaur made that footprint. 65 million years go by, and then the ground got soft again, and then a human being made a footprint. Mm-mm. Dinosaurs and humans did indeed live on the earth together, and there's ample evidence to prove it. And if we have time... Maybe we'll go that route. But just wanted to share that real quick. So, yeah, we've got soft tissue in supposed million-year-old dinosaur bones. Radioactive rocks. Radioactive rocks in the earth give off helium as they decay. They, it just, it's what happens. They give off helium. Well, there's a problem. Um... By the time 6.5, where was our million years? I, I could lose track of these crazy million years. 
4.5 billion years, if the earth was created 4.5 billion years ago, there should not be any helium left in these radioactive rocks. It should have all escaped. But guess what? There's still helium coming out of these rocks. I'm going to read from an article on this. It's a little dry, but I think it's important. Why drilling deep Precambrian pre-flood granitic rocks in New Mexico, geologists extracted samples of zircon, crystals from different depths. The crystals contained not only uranium, but also large amounts of helium. The harder, hotter the rocks, the faster the helium should escape. So researchers were surprised to find that the deepest and therefore hottest zircons contained far more helium than expected. Up to 50% of the helium that the uranium could have ever generated was still present. So think about that. If that, those rocks were supposedly around for billions of years, they still have over half the helium that they ever should have created. To me, it sounds more like they're maybe 6,000 years old. Just saying. We're going to get a little salty now. Um, salt in the oceans. If the earth is billions of years old, where's all the salt in the oceans? Scientists, once again, can calculate how much salt runs from the land into the oceans. For those of you that don't know, the oceans get their saltiness because of dissolved minerals from the land, from the lakes, rivers, and streams, wash out into the ocean. It's fresh water to us, but there's trace amounts, just little amounts of dissolved minerals. They end up in the ocean. Once they're in the ocean, they got nowhere to go. They're stuck. And over years and years and years, that's why the oceans get salty. Look at the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea has no outlet. The Dead Sea is dead because it's so rich in minerals. It's got rivers flowing into it, depositing their minerals, and then the water evaporates and more come in. And that's why the Dead Sea has so much mineral deposits and salt in it. Well, let's look at the ocean. Um, 458 million tons of sodium mixes into the ocean water every year. And only about 122 million tons is removed by other means, such as wave action on the shore and things like that. So it's a net average. Each year, over 300 million tons of sodium ends up in the ocean. At that rate, if that is the constant rate, then today's ocean saltiness would be reached in only 42 million years. Well, you may say that's a long time. Well, it is a long time, but that's starting with zero salt. The Lord is smart enough. When he created the oceans, he already had some salt in there because the saltwater fish needed salt. The reason I bring this up is because for, let's see, what was it, 42 million years to reach our current saltiness. That's only a fraction of the amount of time that supposedly the earth has been around and the rivers have been flowing into the ocean. It cannot happen. You cannot have the current amount of salt in the ocean and have the earth around for four or five billion years. Can't happen. 
DNA in ancient bacteria. This one's cute. Scientists in 2000 found a bacteria that supposedly was 250 million years old. And it's interesting, you know what they named it? The Lazarus bacteria. These are guys that don't believe in, in the Lord or the Bible, but they are willing to use the names because it supposedly was a resurrected bacteria from 250 million years ago. The DNA was still intact from 250 million years ago. And it was nearly identical to modern bacteria. Well, if evolution is true, everything is mutating, changing, developing every year, year after year after year. After 250 million years, the old bacteria should have been totally indistinguishable from the current bacteria. But they were almost identical. The Lazarus bacteria. That one just sort of makes me chuckle. We're going to go back and get wet a little bit. The age of the rivers. We talked about sedimentation. We talked about rivers dumping their sediments into the ocean. And we talked about the total amounts that end up in the ocean. Well, let's look more specific at individual rivers. Scientists, once again, usually when I refer to scientists with this data, it's usually evolutionary scientists, uh, non-believers, and I'm using their data. They've studied the sedimentation rates of most of the major rivers around the world. Take the Mississippi, for example. The Big Muddy, as it's known. It's a very muddy, dirty-looking river most of the way. As it comes down, empties into the Gulf of Mexico, it deposits most of its sediment. And they can measure how fast this happens. After year after year of measuring how fast these deposits build up, they can determine how old a river is because they know how much sediments there is there now and how long it takes to build up. Well, you know what's really mind-blowing? The Mississippi River is estimated by secular scientists to be 4,500 years old. Hmm. Sure seems like there was a cataclysmic worldwide flood about 4,500 years ago. It gets even better than that. Every river in the world that has been studied has been determined to be less than 6,000 years old. Every one. I guarantee no one's going to see that in their high school or college textbook. Not going to happen. They don't want this information out there. matter of fact, not wanting the information out there, before we get into something called theistic evolution, um, I'd like to read you some quotes from evolutionists. These are, these are the people that sell this garbage as truth. These are quotes from actual evolutionists. This is Professor Jerome Lejeune in a lecture given in Paris, March 17th. We have no acceptable theory of evolution at the present time. There is none. And I cannot accept the theory that I teach to my students each year. Let me explain. I teach the synthetic theory known as Neo-Darwinian one. For one reason only. Not because it's good. We know it's bad. 
but because there isn't any other. Whilst waiting to find something better, you are taught something which is known to be inexact, which is a first approximation. These people are teaching evolution, and they don't believe it themselves. Yet our children in schools are forced to learn this stuff. Stephen Jay Gould, this guy, I'd hate to say he hates God because like a line from the movie, uh, God is dead, how can you hate something that doesn't exist? He hates God, even though he doesn't believe God exists. Um, he, he is a dyed-in-the-wool atheist. But here's a quote from he, him um, from an article, Cordelia's Dilemma, Natural History from 1993, page 15. We have long known about stasis and abrupt appearance, but have chosen to fob it off upon an imperfect fossil record. So basically he's saying, we know that everything was stable for a long time, then all of a sudden, boom, everything appeared. But we're just going to ignore it, and we're going to base our, our beliefs on an imperfect fossil record. And finally, Dr. Scott Todd, Kansas State University, Nature Magazine, 1999. Even if all the data point to an intelligent designer... Such an hypothesis is excluded from science. Why? That makes no that seems like the opposite of science to me. And finally, let's go to Mr. Charles Darwin himself. I'm going to read his own words about his own theory. He's the one that came up with this origin of species that has, they built this religion upon. This is what he says. This is page 139 of his own book. As by this theory, innumerable transitional forms must have existed. Why do we not find them embedded in the crust of the earth? Next, page 143. Now we'll skip that one. Page 149 of his book, Charles Darwin. Lastly, looking not to any one time, but to all time, if my theory be true, numberless intermediate varieties linking closely together all the species of the same group must assuredly have existed. Very true. That's what their theory is. One thing becomes another, becomes another, becomes another, and then you've got another thing. All these intermediary creatures should be found in the fossil record. That's what they expected to find. They don't, though. You've got, say, oh, a monkey. You've got a human. Nothing in between. But they're predicting there should be all kinds of stuff in between. And then look what Darwin himself says about that. Why, then, is not every geological formation and every stratum full of such intermediate links. Excuse me. Geology assuredly does not reveal any such finely graduated organic chain. Let me read that again. Geology assuredly does not reveal any such finely graduated organic chain. And this, perhaps, is the most obvious and gravest objection which can be urged against my theory. Charles Darwin 
himself. So those are the words of the, uh, the people that supposedly sell this stuff. But let's move on to, well, let me back up. There are lots, if you start researching these things on your own, you're going to find a lot of information and be careful where it comes from because you're going to find some not so straightforward, honest sources out there. And some of them are straight up scary and, to me, demonic. There's a theory out there called the gap theory. And please do not fall into the trap of this gap theory because they make it sound very, very interesting and very, very plausible until you test the spirits and compare it to the rest of Scripture. Basically, gap theory says there was a world. It was created. It was sort of corrupt. And then so God destroyed it. And then started all over again with the Genesis account, starting with Genesis 2. So if you start researching this stuff on your own, you see anything that indicates gap theory or a recreation, skip right over it. It totally goes against Scripture, but it's out there. Another theory that's out there, and quite frankly, a theory I used to adhere to. I used to be a believer in theistic evolution. Basically, theistic evolution is the idea that, yeah, evolution exists, it happened, but God directed it. It happened in God's time. And it's perfectly consistent with Genesis. And if you don't study it for yourself, if you don't look at it for yourself, you could fall into that trap. I did. I used to believe, yeah, it makes sense. The rocks are millions of years old, billions of years old. God could have just used evolution. Well, he could have, but he didn't. And let me explain why that is not a good theory to believe. Could you bring up uh, Genesis chapter 1? This is what uh, the Lord says. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Okay, we'll, we'll stop right there for now. The face of the waters. So earth, when it was first created, according to scripture, it was wet. What does evolution say? What does the Big Bang Theory say? It says the earth was a violent, hot, molten mass with all these rocks coming, crashing together on one another and volcanoes everywhere, and it was just a hot mess. That's not consistent with Scripture. Let's move on. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Absolutely. And he saw the light was good, and he divided the light from the darkness. I'm good with that. And he called the day, the light day, and the darkness he called night, and evening and morning were the first day. All right, first day of creation, we're good. Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let, let it divide the waters from the waters. We can keep going. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. Okay. So now we're still moving along. We're still good. And God called the firmament heaven 
and the evening and morning were the second day. All right, now we start making stuff. Let the waters under the heaven be gathered unto each one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Okay, nothing too bad there. And called the dry land earth and gathering together of the waters called the seas and God saw that it was good. Now here's where creation or theistic evolution runs into a problem. God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind, whose seed is in itself and upon the earth, and it was so. What does evolution teach? Evolution teaches somewhere in a little pool of muck, somewhere in the water, a little bacteria-type creature was the first living thing. That's where life began was in the water. But what does Scripture tell us? Scripture tells us the first place that life existed was on the land. Let the earth bring forth grass, not the sea. That's not for another day or two. So we can't reconcile Scripture and evolution. Let's continue. The earth brought forth its grass, an herb yielding seed of its kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in it, It was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of heaven, and to divide the day from the night, and to let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days, and for years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, He made the stars also. Well, wait a minute. The Big Bang, evolution, says there was a big explosion in outer space from nothing. The stars were created. The sun is a star. And then the earth was created. You can't reconcile evolution and scripture. They got them backwards. Evolution is wrong. Don't fall into the trap of theistic evolution. Let's also talk about the sun and uh, plants. Plants, how are they going to live without light? The Lord can be their light, absolutely. But he didn't, the Lord created the plants before the sun. And the plants were living on his light and his light alone. I think I've beaten up theistic evolution enough. Uh, One more thing I want to talk about, and that is the whole idea that if there's anything that makes the earth look old, that it's not consistent with creation. Or if there's anything in the earth that makes makes the earth look old, then God must be trying to trick us. That's not the case at all. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. Five minutes after Adam was created. I don't know how old Adam was when he was created. Scripture doesn't tell us. But I don't think he was created as an infant. Let's say 20 years old. So five minutes after creation of Adam, 20-year-old appearing Adam, but really only five years old, 
and we can somehow time warp a bunch of scientists back to investigate. And you've got a group of scientists that think, well, he's got to be 20-year-old Adam, and you've got another group of scientists that say, no, he's young Adam, he's only five minutes old. And they start examining things. They're going to find evidence that goes both ways. They're going to look around and they're going to say, well, look, I mean, obviously uh, he's, he's a grown adult male. Um, he's obviously not an infant. Um, he couldn't possibly have, be only five, five minutes old. That's impossible. But then you're going to have the uh, young Adam people say, yeah, let's look at everything else. Let's look at ev- all the other evidence. And they're not going to see any half-eaten apples yet. Um, they're not going to see any garbage laying around. They're not going to see footprints anywhere. They're, not, they're going to look at the soles of Adam's feet. They're not going to see that they've, they've worn down at all. There's no calluses. There's no anything. So you're going to have both sides of the argument from the same evidence. Just because some things look old doesn't mean they are old and doesn't mean God's trying to trick anybody. Perhaps God just made things in a mature state. Some things he may have made in a mature state. I highly doubt when he created Adam, made him as an infant. I highly doubt when he created the garden, they were tiny little seedlings. They were full grown. So there are going to be things in creation that we are going to see that are going to look older than they really are. But that's okay. All we need to do as believers is to believe the word of God and understand that evolution needs billions and billions and billions of years. And if we can show that billions of years are impossible, then we've proven our point. And that's what we're trying to do today. This is going to be really way outside my comfort zone, but I'd like to see if there's any questions. I've been up here for, well, it's been 40 minutes almost today, 45 minutes a while back. Anybody got any questions on any of these things we've talked about or anything I haven't talked about? Got to be something. Yes. So scripture says that he made the greater light and the lesser light, but in school we learn that the sun lights the moon, that that's where it gets its light from. That is correct. He said it made a greater light and a lesser light. Just because something is reflecting light doesn't mean that it is not a light in itself. Look at the lights on most of your, uh, your headlights on your cars. If you look close, don't look at them when the lights are on. That could, that could not be good. But look at some of the old-style lights uh, on the older cars, like what I tend to drive. They tend to be a bulb facing backwards and then a big reflector reflecting out. Yeah, the Lord made two lights, a greater light and a lesser light. The moon was a lesser light. Just because it's reflecting doesn't mean it's not a light. We are lights. We are supposed to be reflecting the Lord's light. So we are light. So you're absolutely right. That's what they teach. And it's right. And there's nothing wrong with it. That was a good question. I love that question. Let's try another one. I can't see. No wonder when pastor says he can't see up here, it's true. He can't see. You guys might have all left. 
Could we bring up the, uh, the Exodus scripture that I uh, mentioned earlier? The first day we talked about the word yam and how it meant one literal 24-hour day because it was connected with evening, morning, and a number. I just wanted to make sure that we're clear. There's other parts of Scripture that confirm six days of creation are six days, not six long periods of time. Exodus, for in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Scripture's clear, folks. Creation was six days. Don't fall into the trap of evolution. It's a theory, and it's full of malarkey. It is, it, it, if you look at their studies, you use their own studies against them, and you'll realize it's foolishness. It is wrong, and it's evil, and it's an attempt by Satan to make you doubt Scripture. Don't let it happen. And I am just about done. Draylin, would you mind uh, getting your group up here and, and closing us out? Or actually, not even closing us out yet, because this is awesome. You know what? I'm going to say some more stuff. You know what? We've got a baptism coming up. This, this is how my brain works, and I apologize. It's, it's a crazy place to live. You don't want to go in there. When I was studying for the first, uh, first night I was going to do, all kinds of things were going through my head, and I was, I was asleep one night, and I don't know if I thought about this on my own or where it was coming from, but it was, it was really bizarre. And I got to thinking about the science and the evidence, and I got to thinking about the crossing of the Red Sea. When God's people crossed the Red Sea, and then once they were across, the entire Egyptian army got wiped out. I was thinking, man, wouldn't it be awesome when someday they find just, the, just an entire Egyptian army littered across the floor of the Red Sea? But then it dawned on me, they're never going to find it. Because the crossing of the Red Sea was a foreshadowing of our baptism. And there's no one that's going to go into the waters of my baptism, your baptism, and go reach down in there and dig out any of the muck, the dirt, the, the gross stuff that we had buried in our baptism. The Lord washed it completely away. The Red Sea was a foreshadow of that. It happened. It's real. I know it's real. But no one's going to find what was trying to kill the children of God. Because the Lord has completely wiped them out, washed them away from the face of the earth, just like everything that we left in the waters of baptism. And I thank the Lord that no one can reach down there and pull that stuff out and confront me with it again. Wow, I just got back into preaching mode again. Well, I, I really appreciate your attention and uh, for putting up with me for two Wednesday nights in a row. And uh, I understand we are going to have a baptism, we're going to have a drailin, we're going to have a worship team, and a safi. I love the safi. 
<laughs> and I'm going to get out of the way because these people are awesome. Thank you. Will you stand? This has been awesome. I personally enjoy the, the classroom setting. Um, I've had four years of Bible college, and I'm telling you, if you allow yourself to really just kind of hook in on what, like these kind of, it's kind of a different feel from just regular church, right? But uh, I'm telling you, man, the Holy Ghost would break out in those classroom settings where, you know, my, my dean of theology, uh, a lot of us, you know, uh, Gabby was there, my wife was there, Tyrone, Aaron. Uh, you guys remember those classes where Brother Kilman, uh, he would be talking about the oneness of God and he'd be teaching us about the oneness of God and, and it would just, he would be in tears and the whole room would just break out in a prayer room. Like just, we were just so overwhelmed because when truth starts penetrating us, you know, the Bible says that, that Jesus himself said, pastor preaches this all the time. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth. So when you confront the truth with the truth, it's just powerful, you know? And so uh, I'm so grateful for people that like Brother Woodcox that will take the time to truly study this thing out and not only study it out, but to be able to understand it and communicate it in a way that we can digest it and understand it. So again, I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful uh, for this type of setting and this type of move. Um, we're going to have a baptism but until that kind of happens, I wonder if we could just kind of continue back into our worship. And uh, one of the greatest things about First Church is we know how to pray. We know how to worship. We know how to get behind whatever's going on. And uh, so I want us to just kind of hook in for just a few more minutes. And I want us to just lift our hands and kind of get lost in that place of worship one more time. Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you. We feel you in this place, oh Lord. We hear you, God. We feel you, oh Lord. You are ever present in this house. God, we ask you, Lord, to continue the work, God. Continue speaking to our hearts, God. Continue uh, opening, it, opening up and expanding our understanding of who you are and where, you, where, where, where you've made these things from and uh, the, the whole genealogy of this entire world, oh Lord, that they try to teach us things. And God, I'm wanting to know who you are and how you did this, oh Lord. I'm actively pursuing your presence, actively pursuing who you are and what you're about, God. Hallelujah.